Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Dan Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And we are joined today by Olivia Lilly of Runaways Lab Theater and Pop Magic Productions to talk about The Portrait of Dorian Gray. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, yeah we, had a, we had a slow start. Um, Monday mornings seem to always be that way. <laughs> Someone's in Germany and they put Case of the... This happened just this morning I saw this. They put Case of the Mondays in German and I don't know how to say it anymore. Case of the Mondays. Yeah. Montags or something. Oh, weird. Anyway, sorry, this is so not relevant, but I just, like, saw that and I was like, oh, I would, like, that's a thing I would want to be saying in my life. What? The saying case of the Mondays in German? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for putting up with it. We, like, took a while to set up and everything, and we've just been, like, chilling and hanging out and isolating eating, cats. Eating bagels and... Watching Great British Baking Show. Yeah. Anyway, so how are you? I'm great. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Cool. Well, um, so you, you all approached us with this really amazing concept. We were, Daniel and I were sitting in a coffee shop getting some work done and your marketing associate sent us this like crazy amazing email of like, it's a, it's Dorian Gray, but it's turned on its head and it's put in modern times. And we were just like, what? So I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear about this project. Yeah, so um, about four years ago, I did my first complete devised version of Dorian Gray with a totally different cast, and all we started with was the book, and we knew that we wanted to set it in the moment of when that show was happening, in the location where it was being performed, and all of the locations mentioned in that version were around, were located like around that Mm -hmm. space, so everything was entirely like... um, of the moment. And so I wanted to do it again, but I knew that I had to, that, that whatever had been passed was passe now. Yeah. And I needed to start from the moment of uh, this creation, which is summer of 2017, and create a, uh, a cast that makes up uh, people that are alive and in this moment and would be these characters now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I cast... Um, an assortment of most of basically every every gender under the sun besides uh, cis male. Cool. In this production. Cool. Nice. Um, and then we started again with a book, and we the first time I did it, I I kind of kept very closely to the original narrative, but in this one we wanted to really like make the internet a very like make the Chicago and the internet almost like simultaneously existent. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, like, that to reflect our, like, actual existence and, yeah. and how we experience stuff. So I let the, the actors really, like, sort of use their imagination and, and figure out how these characters translated to right now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and the other thing that you were mentioning before we started recording was um, the importance for you to strip the perspectives of, from the novel to what to fit what because something that you're talking about specifically the novel is that it's very rife with um the cis male perspective um and so uh how has that i mean i'm sure that at that point i might i'm looking for an actual question here but i like <laughs> i think i think i know what you're saying yeah um yeah in the in the original novel though oscar wilde was trying to hide it from the censors the book it exists in a total like gay underworld culture mm-hmm. and so we were like well what is the queer underworld of today right and what is uh, f- a filled with a myriad of perspectives besides just the one right um so i populated my world with those people 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it and I I wanted to bring the queerness to the, like the the surface rather right. than hide it from the censors. Yeah. I have no fear of jail right. for this. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing. I've I I've gotten I've read some of Dorian Gray. I haven't finished it for whatever reason. I don't know why I picked. It's it up an and, intense read. Yeah. Well. Um. But what it is is it is um very what's what I'm looking for. Uh. It has detail, but it also doesn't have detail. Like it's there is the ambiguity to in there to some extent from my brief experience with it, but like there is so much detail, and I think it's I'm curious um, how what kind of things do you find when you're working on this, especially in a devised format um, that are the kind of the kind of like nuances that are in the novel that you latch on to when you're able to strip away these kind of like the perspectives I guess if you want to put it that way well the one of the best parts about devising is it feels like you're playwriting but all these people are actively in your head yeah like voicing things and the ideas that end up staying sticking are the ideas that we all agree on are compelling mm-hmm. so like like just uh sorry brain part um, no no you're fine <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to think of anything like really specific. I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, of course. No, but <laughs> um, it was great to like get to work through ideas with them. And then we did, as we were coming up with what the new circumstances were based on the circumstances from the book that we like really liked, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then we would create improvisations of those. And then I would go away and I built the, I built the whole um, outline. Um, and then I wrote a script. So we would start to sort. We started by just start sort of like exploring the lives of who these people were and things, uh, in- instances that might have happened between right. them. And then I wrote an outline based on the the actual plot. And then we started improvising those scenes. And then I wrote the script. Yeah. So it started with like a very very free like open exploration of these people in this in Chicago on the internet doing stuff together, speaking, like, finding the different ways in which these characters do mm-hmm. and say, mm-hmm. and getting narrower and narrower. That's the thing that seems really cool to me about concept, uh, like, devising as a concept, especially as a journalist. Like, it's all about getting to the fact, you know, the, like, what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And that seems like that's, like, the first step, pretty much, when it comes to this kind of a thing, is just getting everybody in a room and, like, agreeing on what happened, which is... Like, especially with something like a novel, right? Where it's like, everybody reads a novel differently to some extent. And so were there, is there, I mean, do you come to a consensus pretty quickly? Or is there a lot of like... The things that we argued most about were like the character's secrets. Yeah. So two of the characters share a secret about something that happened in their past that turns into a blackmail scene. And so the most heated argument we had was about what that secret was. So of course it's about like a mysterious thing that the audience is never gonna know anyway. And I had to have a secret meeting with the two actors <laughs> uh, like that, actually share the secret to right. decide the secret without everyone's input, mm-hmm. and we never let the rest of the cast know what it was. So that solved that. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes sense. That's so yeah, it's fucking cool. Um, cool. And another, so another tangent that I know I want to get into because it's I love when we do a few interviews in a row that kind of relate to each other. Um, and so the last interview for anyone listening that didn't catch it that we did was up in Milwaukee with. Um, Theater Red um, for their production of The Wayward Woman, which is uh, a 
not gender swapped, but they basically took the plot of Twelfth Night and then flipped gender directly on yeah, its head. In, in that. Instead of instead of women crash landing on an island, it was men who crash landed right. on an island who have to n- navigate this island of fierce women. Yeah, so there is a there is a difference between uh, the two things in that. It seems like they were more uh, adherent to like the binary, if you want to say. And this yeah. seems extremely queer, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, this like uh, one of my actors was like one day just like I think this play works. It takes place in like a post gender universe, and I said, yes, it does. But also, this is a, takes place in a subculture. Yeah, and we got a little oh. sad. Yeah. <laughs> we're like the whole world isn't like this in the play, but their world. Well, right. and it's, it's like, like it's like that in the novel too. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's, and it's um, so I get it is it is a sad commentary on, on our society. But then so is Dorian Gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it would be uh, wrong of me to like omit the uh, dark kind of facts of the present moment yeah. from mm-hmm. the story. Um, because Oscar Wilde didn't. No. And I'm very, like, I love to, like, try and figure out how to, like, translate the philosophies of an author when I'm doing, like, an adaptation, and it's a modern adaptation into the present moment. Like, what would they say and want and think? Like, rather than just the story, like, I'm like, what is their philosophy, Mm -hmm. and how can I put that on stage in a, like, in a way that reads in the story, that reads in the aesthetic, that reads in everyone's performances? Cool. I, that's actually, you made me just think of another, this is something I wanted to bring up earlier, um, but the idea, the thing that I can tell that you think about a lot with these kinds of projects is the the current moment, you know, and like, I think it's, I think that's especially something that um, I would love to hear about, given like, the nature of the world we're living in right now at large, like, America especially is in such a strife political time, and so yeah. I'm curious, <laughs> when you are able to do something it's like what you said that it is a subculture so it is it is there is a it there isn't a I'm both con- like disagreeing with myself as I'm saying what I'm going to say so I'm just going to say the first thing I'm going to say and then know that I disagreed with myself after I thought in my head um that there is a um a disconnect or, or not a disconnect but uh there's a separation to some extent but also it exists in the world that we're living in you know so I, I mm-hmm. guess that my question for you is when you're uh the dealing with this subject material but also you know the world we're living in is so regressive um at a national level um are there any challenges in that for you especially as like the writer director well there there's a lot of like sort of like bullying and different kinds of like cruelty that happen in the play that are huge issues right now Mm -hmm. um like for example two of the characters meet on the internet and fall in love and when they meet in person it's like a total disaster Mm. and they say really mean things like almost like it's in a bad comment thread yeah but like by putting that out there and going like oh my god like this is what really this is really what dorian gray is about yeah like we're like sort of call like going why are we fascinated by watching this kind of cruelty and Mm. this kind of like making people think about what like what is is compelling to them about watching that and what is and well why are they, why they're fascinated by violence mm-hmm. why are we like so drawn into stories that are thrillers that bad things happen and we watch bad people why do we care to watch bad people mm-hmm. i want everyone to like be sort of walking out thinking about that yeah, yeah absolutely well and i think that the the fact that 
kind of the playground of this play is the fact that your playground is the internet makes, you know, I, I feel like in this day and age, there is this idea that all bets are off on as long as it's on the internet, that you can say whatever you want because, you know, there's some sense of anonymity and that, like, you can see an image of someone and just be as honest as you care to be about that to that person. Whereas if you saw that person in real life on the street... Yeah, you'd never say You would never say that. No, of course not. But, um, so, because there is in Dorian Gray um, that undercurrent of just, like, vanity. Yeah. And so... I'm interested because it's set Dorian in your play is is Instagram famous. Um, she or, wants to be. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Sybil Vane, Sybil Vane is a is an Instagram star that gotcha. Dorian finds, but then sort of has like an actual relationship with. But um, Lord Henry does a lot, like does show Dorian their potential, and Dorian kind of gets distracted by. Uh, beautiful people and sex and violence in the real world and kind of gets a brand for crazy um, um, and is known but not necessarily known in the way that she initially sets out to be known so she so so she's infamous not she's famous. yeah she's super infamous but then she's sort of like it's interesting the dilemma that she kind of has of like her going am I a bad person should I brand myself as a bad person should I um, should I feel bad for being a bad person? Mm. And should I be punished for being a bad person? And there's like a huge dilemma in the book of like, and this is something that I am very happy with how it's coming out in the production of like, um, does the world murder Dorian Gray or does Dorian choose to kill herself because mm. she's such a bad person she can't live with what she's done? Mm-hmm. But but is it fate or is it her? That question is sort of the psychological thriller of the yeah of my my play. That's really cool and especially interesting because and I mean I don't mean to like reference South Park but like I always just think of that <laughs> that um like cult of celebrity thing yeah like of just tackling with with how the world treats celebrity and how you know the sacrificial Britney Spears or whatever well it reminds me honestly it reminds me a lot of Amy Winehouse where mm-hmm. like everybody I I specifically didn't get into Amy Winehouse when she was alive because she was painted with such a horror and I was like oh well she's also, I was a very judgmental, like, 19-year-old. But, um, like, she was being painted with such a horrible brush. And then when she died, like, I saw all these people, like, mourning her death. And I was like, but wasn't she a nightmare? Like, why? And, but then I listened to her music and I was like, you idiot. Like, she was so good. Mm. Like, why did you let, why did you let society paint her in such a horrible way? And I think... That that happens more often with especially women that like their behavior is you know is more important to society than what they actually offer yeah i think the idea that like um because dorian gray is a woman in this play she does have to deal with like the fact that she's supposed to be nice yeah and like dorian uh, like like 
Dor- when Dorian finally feels the the like the um like that excitement and rush and like confidence of like being unafraid to tell the truth is like the first it's 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 like a big moment for her that it like happens and then it's like oh shit but then what happens to Sybil because of her be telling the truth mm-hmm. which I won't spoil <laughs> I mean if you've read the book you know yeah but um then it's like oh shit did I like like am I responsible for what happened as a result mm-hmm. of my words or was it just me being honest in the moment and giving her what she was owed rather than just um, not texting her back the next day? Like, is it better to be honest with people or like... Or ghost. Or yeah. ghost. And she chooses to be honest and that starts the downward spiral into where she ends okay so i the thing that i i I have a thought that's very related to what you're saying now and it's related to the next thought i want to bring up and i'm trying to figure out how i'm gonna get from there to there but we'll (laughs) we'll figure it out so the thing that i've been thinking about a lot lately and the thing that that i was thinking about here is um the idea of classics we deal a lot with it so we're both opera singers and even i think to some extent outside of opera there's uh, in literature even too especially there's this idea of things that are just like you know, they're like I just immediately picture like Roman columns and just like these are things that we will revere forever and ever. And I think yeah. to some extent, Dorian Gray is like ha, ha, it doesn't. I don't know that it has the like. It, I don't think that people white glove Dorian Gray as much as perhaps other books, but it is like a high school English class go to. Right. Was it? I was getting a coffee this morning and I told I was like talking to the barista, and he was like. I love and simultaneously hate that book. And I was like, that's perfect. Because, <laughs> like, while you're reading it, you're kind of like, oh, this is sexy. Like, this is... But then, like, if you really think about it in the book, there's, like, two suicides and a murder. Mm-hmm. And, like, the person who caused that is the main character. Yeah. Like, it's actually, like, if you look at it, where you people that love that book are liking something really fucked up, and that's really interesting. Why do we do that? It almost that? is like, and it's the plots aren't, I don't think that's similar, but it's almost like the appeal to Lolita. Oh, yeah. Which, like, I can't, I can't finish it. It's it's just, I, I don't know why, but... Um, another thing that, like, in another work of mine, I've totally yeah. referenced and I'm obsessed with. Cool, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know, I just like bad... Well, so here's the... No, <laughs> like, no, but... I like bad people. I like horrible people and well, why they do things. I think it's interesting, because I almost feel like these novels, the classicness of them puts on that layer of, like... Um, Gloss. Yeah, and, and it makes it so that it's not, it it's loses not real. the relevance. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I was saying, like, this is the thought I hope I connect to, which is that I love these things that you're talking about here in this plot are just like the idea of being honest with someone versus ghosting them is such a 2017 like dilemma to yeah. have. Yeah. But it's, but to find that in something that we consider like a class, like, a kind of a cla- a cla- I'm gonna say it. I could like we could that we consider a classic like is so interesting to me, and I'm kind of curious what you think it is about either the process or the source material that like has made these because it doesn't seem like that's the only kind of 2017 realness of it that you found. Like what what has really lent to that happening for you? I think the people in the room, the like myriad of perspectives. Um, I think also I 
<clears throat> one of my favorite things to do as a kid was like go to like historical museums and just imagine the people in the rooms handling like sitting on the beds as though like shorter humans that like existed in the 19th century and like just doing really human things was like so exciting to me to like how do you like conjure that in the air yeah and so i like i love doing adaptations because i love like making something from the past like real and visceral and a lot of these stories like hold up like and are already really well-made stories so that that takes the pressure off of me to come up with like an original story that like totally works all the way through. Yeah. It's it's more of like a how do I translate this? And I like that challenge and and it also like other people have a way into the material that um you might not get with like a totally original play. Mm. Um yeah. Other the other thing I always work on are like either I I love watching documentaries, so I often will either deal with, like, in other theatrical plays, either real people Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, or, like, adaptations. So it's it's sort of, I I kind of stay, I haven't done, like, a lot of, like, just straight-up fiction. Yeah. I'm always, like, adapting something in some way. Well, I think it's... (laughs) I think it's interesting. Again, I'm going to do the thing where I have a thought that I know is related at some point. Um, just because this is, seems to be the nature of this conversation, which I'm really glad for. Yeah. Um, the thing that I've been tackling with a lot lately, one of my like major concerns and one of, the, I think, the like underground, probably like 10th or 15th goals of the show, is to kind of tackle what it is about making art about a Chicago audience. Um, and, I, and I think that one of the things, I mean, so we specifically one of the many art-making endeavors that I've I've been a part of and kind of my uh, contextual point is the grassroots opera scene, which is weird and unique and really cool, but it's it can only happen in Chicago because of the nature of the, the town, which is that there are just so many people that are low-income artists that both want to have something to put on their resume, want to be working on a project, but um, there's there, the like bar for talent is like not based inherently on talent as much anymore and more on like who do you know like who well and also like the full package right like, and like like the... do you do you look like a you know a Susanna do you look like it you like you have to it's there's got to be like a veneer around you right. of like oh like we can you know you have to be a commodity, yeah. basically. So anyway, all of that is to just make a point to the fact that I think that there is like concrete evidence that there is a giant plethora of very talented artists in Chicago that like are able to work together and collaborate and, and potentially create something like to the next level. Mm-hmm. And so um, I guess one of the things I'm curious about for you is... Um, if that's a thing that you've noticed in in uh, in your area in your uh, art, and um, kind of what do you think about what is it about making this play in Chicago versus doing this play in anywhere else, Kenosha or like you know like? <laughs> well, I first moved to so I after graduating I directed and I wrote and directed a play that went up in Los Angeles and I had a cast of of actors that. Um, like are hustling doing the like whole tv thing and they were like in it but they also like really cared about the scenes being on their reels 
And oh. so I moved, I, I ultimately made a decision not to stay in LA and move to Chicago because I wanted to like figure out who I was as like an yeah. auteur director and like creator with people that were just like hungry to do interesting work. Right. Um, and as a result, like my philosophies about what a performer's job is has uh, evolved into I don't believe actors are interpretive artists as much as they can be creative artists. Mm. So I'm interested. And also I was a, um, a composer um, in my like uh teens cool. and I went to like Interlochen for music composition. Oh, cool. Very cool. So I like am very into listening and like transcribing. Yeah. Almost uh, like so in college I like spent all my time everyone thought I was a crazy person just like writing down everything everyone said all the time. And I would garage band all of my lines. I would like listen to get the rhythms exactly right with the words. And so what's awesome about like doing a devised thing is that I get to listen to those voices and then I'm not just like writing imaginary voices in my head, I'm writing the voice of that actor. Cool. And I'm writing like the rhythm of that actor and how they move and how they uh, enact action and trying to like pick up on those little details that make them them and then then the script can feel like it's really part of the moment right but yeah that's that's kind of and people in chicago tend to not just be like super one-track minded about who they are mm -hmm. rather than like like being like oh i'm an actor and i'm hustling like i'm, I'm a waitress but right. like i'm an actor and like feeling like that they have to put their whole identity on an actor people here tend to like have a life and perform and maybe like paint and like do lots of things and think of themselves in hybrids. And I think um, the strength of that is that people who move here tend to like want to explore who they are and the package that they end up create like becoming is more based on like their experience than like anyone's outside like telling them. Right. that this is who they should be yeah you know it's more it comes from within they have people who move here have patience mm -hmm. <laughs> well i think that ties into before we started you um said that you consider yourself an artistic entrepreneur yes um and i'd love to hear you know you've you've now started two companies um and i'm interested to hear the difference to you between like an artistic director or an executive director or like a, a title within one of those two companies or both of those companies versus the broader title of artistic entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've been both an artistic director and uh, now a creative entrepreneur. Um, I started The Runaways in uh, January of 2013. And then over the course of like three years, we grew to about 12 people that I found through doing different shows. I've directed and created 10 original shows in Chicago since moving here in 2012. So I've, pick, I've been able to do a lot of different kinds of work and pick the people that kind of really, really jive with that and want to be a part of something. Um, we ended up becoming 501c3 Runaways in 2014. And I feel like I started to, around that time, and watching other companies, I started to sort of see the flaws with being 501c3 in that like um, you would plan a system, or uh, uh, a season, you plan a season and then you'd execute the season and then regardless of how successful the shows were, they'd close and then you do another one. Um, and that felt kind of like a like a like 
not very smart of like there's so many times where like I had a like a sold out run and I could not extend because I rented my friend's house and he was like so sick of having us there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I did not build into my system an ability for the show to actually make money. Mm. And I think it's all about like the the point of view. Yeah. Like with Pop Magic, my new company, I am perfecting the art of like producing on a micro budget mm-hmm. and figuring out ways that um, a play can extend and as a result of extending, be able to pay people more and more. Yeah. So we're in startup mode, so everything's still like super micro. But this is the first of several projects coming up that are being like conceived of um, in terms of how like what are our costs going in, what can we uh, stand to make, and just thinking very particularly about the business elements. That's something I've been thinking about a lot because I think that's something that opera people. And I don't mean to continuously be like, I'm sure this is more, like, there are more artists that don't think this way. But it's just like, especially, even classical music in general, because it's based off of that nonprofit structure that you're talking about. Like, for example, the CSL or something like that. They only do a performance for one weekend. And how well something does versus a different kind of a performance, like, isn't really taken into account at all. But, like, the idea of building up quantity to actually be able to... um, provide like that like ticket revenue I guess something like that because I think it's just something for some whatever reason people don't like think about or because I mean the other thing is like a a lot of um non-equity theater and like not like non-union uh opera productions it's not like they have potentially have the same restrictions it's just not something that for whatever like why do you think it is that people don't consider that I think most artists are not business people I also think that it's really hard to be thinking about everything when you have like a bunch of people on your team and everyone's doing this as their like not as their main job right like you like the brain energy and the like uh distribution of power Mm -hmm. is often not as like well thought out as it possibly could be if there was more time and space to like conceive so with pop magic i'm trying to keep it very small where i am thinking like 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 i'm running a startup like what how can i spend my time effectively if I need to hire any outside talent, how can I like give them like a certain amount of hours and pay them for those hours, like to be able to achieve, like like achieve a lot, like with uh, the tasks I give them. Like I need to not give them tasks where they're gonna be like like looking around on the internet for and wasting my time. Like I need right. to give them like really concrete tasks, and as a result of that, like like um those that way of thinking that i'm able to like achieve more than if i just like had like a marketing person or whatever and just was like oh yeah just figure out how to do this and this and i have to like especially like um working on like a bunch of runaway shows in like the last year that i'm not because i stepped down as artistic director in 2015 and some of my people stepped up and so helping them figure out how to like get that off the ground and yeah. like figure out what they're doing I'm, i have a much better sense of like what people inherently know versus what is learned experience that mm-hmm. i know because i've had a lot of experience doing it right you know and so i'm started like i'm i'm much i actually have a bunch of like a couple of women that i'm sort of training as producers that are like interested in that and and producing smaller things that like i meet with or I I have like like one girl is like assisting me in the producing side on Dorian because mm-hmm. I want to like train like I because when I got here like there weren't very many like women role models for me in the producing yeah. sector so I'm taking like it's very important to me to find those like 
and usually it's like someone who's like an actor or like someone who's like an artist who's hungry to have agency in their work Mm. so i've been like making it a point to give them a leg up and help them just get experience and in in a micro budget setting right like i don't have like crazy like grants behind me right of course (laughs) you know like some places yeah that was kind of my uh my next question for you in that because i think that's something that a lot of administrations once they go from startup kind of not startup but kind of fledgling baby to fledgling even you start you're in this weird place where you don't have a budget to really hire people but you want to be able to expand right and there are people that also want you to expand and that are also willing to help you to do that but then there's also the level of like having like the moral compass of like i I shouldn't have people work for me for free and stuff like that so kind of like i'm curious for you with that experience of yours um how do you navigate that you know um, well, I'd say like, okay, in the nonprofit world, I don't mean to like poo-poo. Non- nonprofits yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are awesome if that's your like, if you are trying to build something that's really tied to the community and you want to like mm-hmm. really uh, engage people outside of just like your like circle of artists in uh, interesting programming and giving them a space, like I think that there's ways to uh, like talk to your local like bookstore, see if they'll host a reading, like because mm-hmm. they most likely will. Like yeah. there's so many free ways of like engaging with uh, with the community in that way. Like even doing small one night things mm-hmm. that don't involve like renting like a weekend at the den for like yeah an, an x uh, an x amount of money. I'm not gonna like yeah. right. like throw down their rate right now. Yeah, well, yeah. no. <laughs> but I, and I think it's the thing though of where the two things can definitely exist at the same time. Like there is no. I don't yeah. think it's. I don't think it's one. Thing. Well, I think that's something that kind of. The thing I think about it a lot is that, like, I don't necessarily, like, for the magazine, for example, mm-hmm. I don't need to get rich off of this thing, but, like, it's the exact same thing. It's I saw some post or something about, like, the mental burden of any given mm-hmm. chore life. Like, mm-hmm. and um, I think that producing and creating and working as an administrator, you, there is someone that has to have, like, the mental burden. That is something that is, like, a daily existence kind of a thing like you can't run a thing and have have it not bleed into your daily life yeah. so I, I think it's the thing that's interesting for me for that end is like even if there is the like I don't mean to like get into like political theory when I say this but there is the <laughs> like the socialist approach and the capitalist approach to like creating art I guess to some extent mm-hmm. um but I also think that it's and no matter what you were making art inside of it like a capitalist structure so that it either way it has to it has like the the consideration of like profit has to happen at all i'm trying to remember now the point that i was trying to make it's okay um (laughs) another thing like like you that one can do to like make your organization like a place that people want to be and work for and believe in is to like think about like think with hospitality about like what they want and what they need the people in your organization and like if you can't pay them like a lot now like like how can you help them build their skills to like be where they want to be and like it's a buy-in like it's a startup so if it when it is bigger then you can right but like you have to take care of your people Mm -hmm. um like and engage them in a way that's like not just giving them like how can you just like stimulate their mind while they're 
you know right. and like you always get like like there's awesome people that like love stage management you know and those like you like and they just like love it yeah but then there, you might get someone who like doesn't really love stage management but like is interested in other things so like how can you as you're working with them actively like make sure they're doing their job but like also give them what they need and yeah. what they are they're looking for at that moment mm -hmm. in their life to um well, get them to where they want to be i'm almost gonna keep cutting you off i'm sorry um, no you're the fine. thing that i was gonna say the i guess the kind of the thought i was going with before was um that it's um it, the person the thing is that we're because we live in such a um accessible living area there are so many low-income people and there are but there are also people that are like willing to do the job for less than they deserve to get paid and 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 that is even that is not com like coming into the fact that they are aware of what the organization's budget is and so they know what they they can be be paid it doesn't i don't mean to like keep getting into into payment but my point with all of this is kind of just like it's interesting to me that it's so hard working with the people that you know would do the best job aren't going to like basically the thing that you're you're working to do is to think of a person's needs over more than they think about it to some extent because i almost think that people will think of their needs less than they will especially artistic type like creative people mm -hmm. that are driven by the the like the creative verb yeah. or something like it's they're they'll they're willing to do that more than make sure that they're like taking care of self it's kind of like when you're running an organization and you're getting outside people involved it's kind of like parenting in a way where you need to anticipate your people's needs, like the people that you're bringing in, you need to anticipate their needs more than perhaps they're anticipating their own. And think ahead of be like, okay, what does this person want out of this experience? What can I then give them to do that they can feel like they're flourishing in this environment right. and they won't perhaps, you know, and perhaps we, you know, and if going forward, we could pay them more potentially. But for now, how can I make this a rewarding experience right. without that financialness? Yeah, yes. and I think that, like, yeah, that's key. I think that like a symbiotic relationship is ex extremely possible. I guess my the all of this is it's, to try and ask the yeah. question: is how do we start to find what is the like right way to make that happen well i'd say like um qual i i think quality over quantity so with pop magic i'm i'm trying to like make it so that the least amount of people are doing the most amount of like productive work right. and i very carefully selected who is like involved with mm -hmm. it yeah. so i'm like not just like put posting an ad and like hiring a random person like like I, I've uh, like as a director, like I have to like be watching and noting people's like strengths and weaknesses. And so five years of like doing that constantly, I'm getting better at that. Yeah. You know, and so and I'm getting and I'm also like a big new thing for me is like if someone isn't pulling their weight, I will actually fire them. Yeah. And I've already had to do that a couple times this year. Yeah. Um, like, and that's great because that keeps it from being a social, like, activity for them. Right. Like, and then, and no one's, and that, and people see that. People see, oh, you cut that person. Oh, I, I need to, like, not, <laughs> I need mm -hmm. to, like, keep on being, like, 
like the an artist. Of my, yeah. yeah, like because right. this is not a joke. I take this very seriously. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> that's so interesting. Because some people, I mean, like it's really easy to get like into to like get into the place with theater like especially as like a performer that like it becomes your social life your everything and you like kind of start to like be drinking every night of the week like after rehearsal like like that is a rabbit hole that a lot of people and like i've i've definitely dealt with like that kind of element Mm -hmm. of like like how can you keep this like super professional and like get your social kicks elsewhere yeah you know Mm -hmm. or after rehearsal or like separate it Right. Like separating your work from your like just like you being able to unwind, because right. I don't think it's healthy when they start to like really bleed together. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I mean, some people like use that like tribalness. I mean, I think like a, a cast and a group of people can totally be like this awesome tribe that yeah. like we have like we get really close during our like process. Right. Um, but that's different from like making it your own personal like therapy section session yeah like like it's it's a it's a tribe it's not necessarily like your your family yeah a tribe is like Mm -hmm. a a, a society that's going to function for its survival yeah like it's not yeah it's not necessarily your family and And so yeah it's not unconditional it's like there are there are expectations that absolutely Yeah. yeah cool um, so I want to bring it back. My next question is bringing it back to actually about Dorian Gray, which yeah, is exciting. Yeah. Um, which is exciting. <laughs> uh, so the other thing that I've kind of been, um, that we've been talking about a lot, uh, we actually have a, a thing that we're doing coming up in July is this thing we're calling the representation series. And so we're just kind of tack- generally tackling the word of representation. And it's one of those things that I think is very much like a buzzword. Like, like mm-hmm. we talk about accessibility a lot in that same way where it's like, there's a lot to that and sometimes people can just slap it on a thing and then it's like this is now the the represent the weighted representation and i i don't think that that's always true um and so one of the things that we've kind of been talking about a lot is basically the importance of when you're dealing with um you know different cultures uh different uh gendered experience uh, different, different perspectives I- different all, identities yeah different identities that's the word i was looking for um how important it is to have when you when you have representation having it throughout the structure of your administration or in your um creative force Mm -hmm. um and so i'm kind of curious uh how if that's been a a thought for you and kind of how that's played out with something where um you know one of the goals is to make sure that all of these identities are represented yeah i think i think devising uh in like the way that i do it is for me the answer to hearing voices yeah hearing a multitude of voices because then like my job as playwright is not to go like this is my opinion this is these are these characters from inside of my brain like these are characters that are from inside of my brain mixed with that person's brain Mm -hmm. which is mixed with that person's like body and like words and how they use words and 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 everything you know and it's a like I guess because the stereotype of like like devising is kind of like too many cooks in a kitchen and it's kind of like silly poetry and people like dancing around in blacks and that is like not what I'm doing here it's like here's a story I think like in order for devising to work to work you just need like someone who uh, is responsible for the vision at the end of the day and keeps it on on track Mm -hmm. in terms of like 
here's what I'm getting from all of you. And now I have to synthesize this into something that like makes sense of it for the audience. Yeah. Um, but I think like like in a week we're doing a um, my assistant director this really awesome uh, human Jay Van Ort who is a, a director and a critic and a writer uh, they uh, have uh, assembled a, a group of solo performers and they're rehearsing on uh, pieces on the themes of Dorian Gray but then they're all going to get in a room share those pieces and devise together cool. so I don't know what it's going to turn out to be but there will be beautiful people and wine and devising yeah. and I love that like the word devising can be uh, turned into different things depending on who's running the show so Jay mm -hmm. will be like the leader of that and I'm so excited for them to get to uh, like explore in the way they want to think about devising yeah. After having sat with me um, this the last three months, so that's like I love that like devising uh, kind of empowers people that feel like they don't necessarily have a place where they fit um, otherwise, but they want to be leaders and they want to uh, tell the stories that they're passionate about. It kind of breaks the rules and goes here. You can like figure out exercises. You can figure out how what journey you're going to take these actors on. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm very much like a proponent right now of like getting devising out there yeah. and 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 uh, like putting giving it a platform. Sorry, I don't no, know. you're totally fine. Giving it a platform um, and an audience and in the ways that I can, because um, my audience uh, is is not just like theater people. It's a lot of experimental writers cool. and dancers. And I've lived off the blue line for a long time. I just moved to the red line. And the blue line is like the whole DIY crowd, like like bands and mm -hmm. all these stuff. So that's like mainly been my my major audience. So it'll be interesting because Dorian's playing in Ravenswood. So I'm going to get like, oh. and it's and it's like a 10 p.m. show. Like yeah. the show goes from 10 to 11. It's one hour. It's this late night thing. You know, so it'll be interesting to see who comes out for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to like, like, it's very important just for like to enable these like young people that have these uh, like visions of what kind of work they want to do. That's like outside of the norm of like going to a theater and sitting in a black box. And mm -hmm. I'm here to like show up for them and bring people to them and uh, let them know that they can trust themselves. Mm -hmm. Damn. Cool. Now, I love that idea of, um, because as Daniel said, we're, we're putting up this thing, this representation series, where we're taking, um, we're um, approaching members of communities that thrive in Chicago, mm -hmm. but don't thrive in classical music, and we're asking them to produce an evening of music, um, like, of their of their culture with only people of that culture and we don't have a hand in that at all yeah. because that's awesome it's so easy for a production company to attempt representation and end up with tokenism yeah um and that's like and, and i i would like die if that's if i had a hand in something like that happening basically at this yeah point. and like because and that's what the thing that the thing that's hard to not make that happen is and i'm this is what i'm realizing is just like giving someone the keys like what basically what you're saying of like letting people trust themselves mm -hmm. to a certain extent like i i feel like i've now had like five conversations with different people that are programming for us where i'm just like i mean you have artistic license and they're like what and i'm like yeah yeah like, I mean, I, like i'm not i don't like i'm not gonna tell you how to do your like black concert like i'm not gonna like i'm like 
And I think that's just so... Yeah, and it's like, we'll do... And it, what we're coming from it, the, the way that we're approaching it is like, if they need help, it's like, tell us what to do and we'll do it. But other than that, like, no hand in programming. Right. No hand in, like, finding people. Like, if you need us to find, like, a pianist or something, we'll do that. But, right. you know, it's it's this... Yeah, and... The, and you're right there needs to be more of that there needs to be more devising there needs to be more collaboration and there needs to be more uplifting and I think that that's what you're doing through your devising of like this kind of like queer underworld Dorian Gray like it needed to be devised yeah there there was no (laughs) way I was gonna just sit down and write that no of course it would be like uh, it would just be like an awkward like me going like doing readings and people being like oh, what about this what about this and then me sitting in a room banging my head against the wall being like oh. and it would be like a fan fiction almost <laughs> yeah it wouldn't the gra- I feel like because we devised it the gravity of the actions is so much more real mm-hmm. and as a result I'm kind of like damn like does everyone know that they love something that's this fucked up <laughs> probably not if they like they're because so many people like I'll mention I'm doing it and they're like oh my god I love that book or my yeah. friend like lives by that book he has a tattoo uh, or something and I'm like it's like stay away from that friend <laughs> no but it's like they're so you. human everyone is so human <laughs> for liking that book and we need to like unpack that I think yeah. collectively in the and the in late night on a Friday night on a right. Saturday night also I wanted to mention like really quickly that. Um, I'm really, so the reason that Dorian is at 10 is that I'm very interested in how, in making, uh, in that question of like, how can theater be part of our late night entertainment? How can it be like on par with the bars, with the concerts? Yeah. So that's like a big thing that I'm doing with Pop Magic is how do I like make uh, theater fun for people that like hate theater? Mm. How can I get you out for one hour? I'm going to give you, like, this wild ride. Stuff's going to happen so fast you can't fully process it. But you're it's going to stay with you and you're going to argue about it. But maybe you can go and drink with the actors after the show. Or right. get a couple drinks before the show. And I'm going to give you free gin anyone when you get to the show. Yeah. Free gin specifically? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Just don't be late or you won't get free gin because it's during pre-show. Yeah. Yeah. So don't be late. So don't be late. Get the gin. Cool. Get well, we're uh, we're in our last few minutes. So the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything you have upcoming. Sometimes, sometimes that's very obvious, like a, uh, a show that you're working on. Uh, other times it can be self-care stuff. Other people you think are doing dope work. Uh, yeah. So um, the event on Friday is the Narcissism Fun Hour. Um, and it starts at, I think, somewhere between. Yeah, it's doors at 7, um, 7.30. That, that time frame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at 3001 North Central Park Avenue at ACM Music. Cool. Um, and that will be $5 at the door, but we're giving that all to the artists for this. And I'm going to get some three-buck chuck, and there will be beautiful people and Jay Van Ort. So, like, what more can you want? Nice. And then the portrait of Dorian Gray opens June 30th at Compass Creative Dramatics at 4001 North Ravenswood Unit. B3. And yeah, for those of you who don't know, Compass Creative Dramatics is a children's theater company in a weird basement. So where else do you want to see? Where What's more perfect than that to see Dorian Gray? And it runs um, every weekend until July 29th, Fridays and Saturdays at 10 p.m. Sweet. That's um, awesome. And if you want to find... very hard to miss. Yeah. If you want to find the link to tickets, just go to Pop Magic Productions on Facebook. 
and it will be there. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, social media presence? Um, Pop Magic Productions on Instagram and Facebook. Cool. Um, you can find me, Olivia Lilly, on Facebook and Instagram. Cool. On my Instagram, my handle is the Olivia Lilly. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, cool. And then for everything Runaways, uh, the Runaways Lab, uh, runawayslab.org, and then Runaways Lab on Facebook. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we're up to, there are a lot of ways to do that. You can head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. That's S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. That's where we keep all of our articles. There haven't been any new ones in a while, but there will be one day soon when we're done producing performances. Uh, so you can head over to our social media stuff. That's uh, on Instagram, uh, on Facebook, we're Scopy Magazine. On Instagram, we're at Scopy Mag. And on Twitter, we're at Scopy Mag. Um, otherwise, uh, I'm going to do two performances, and then you do two. How about that? Cool. So, um, our... Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, yeah. go for it. Oh, so, uh, when you hear this, it will be tonight. Uh, tonight, Tuesday, June 20th, um, we are going to be, um, premiering the, a set of monodramas by Daniel Felsenfeld. Um, Ms. Emily Cox will be singing them. Um, it's going to be a wild ride. Daniel is going to be there as well as one of the writers. Um, it's at night. Daniel Felsenfeld. I will also be there, but. Oh yeah, sorry. Daniel Felsenfeld. It will be a plethora of Daniels present. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, pay what you can. Um, BYOB. The cafe is going to be open, so um, you can get wonderful hot bevies and a delicious snack. Um, so that's going to be at 7 o'clock at Nightcap Coffee Bar. And then Thursday, um, June 22nd, um, we're going to be um, hosting a poetry night at Redline Tap. Um, we have a few spots left to fill, so if you know any rad poets who would be down to have um, four to five minutes of just open air um, to talk about whatever they want, to read whatever they want, um, you know, hit us up. Uh, there'll be, they will get a high quality audio and video recording of it, and we're probably going to open it up to discussion. It's going to be super intimate and super, mm -hmm. super fun. Yeah. yeah. We can't wait. Cool. And then besides that, July 4th, we have our 4th of July party down in Pilsen. We're going to be out of town for a week. So the, the after July 22nd, we'll be off for a week. And then July 4th, we'll be in Pilsen with um, Jonathan Hanau and uh, Kelly Sheehan are going to be doing their Plucky Plunkers where they do toy piano duets and other things they have composed. And, That's and so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really cool. And then um, we're going to have a barbershop quartet. We're also going to have... Um, a local songwriter, Daniel Ray Scott, yep. is going to be uh, presenting a piece that he wrote. He actually initially asked if he could do it on Poetry Night, but it's about activism and was like inspired by the James Comey testimony. And we were like, can you do this on July 4th, actually? Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so that'll be happening. And the other thing that we're really excited about that we're confirming over the next day or two is on July 6th at Redline Tap, we're going to be playing Dungeons and Dragons live with Tyler Lee. And we're going to get three people that are making art in Chicago that um, have no experience with D&D. And we're, it's just going to be this amazing, like, and we're basically just going to tell them, just think of it like long-home form improv. And then Tyler's going to roll characters for them and roll, 
like for their moves and stuff like that so it's gonna be super fun and super interesting um so please check that out if that's something that you think you'd be interested we're in. so fucking excited about yeah. it it's gonna yeah. be so good yeah and just awkward and terrible and awesome it's gonna yeah. be amazing yeah mm-hmm. uh cool well thanks again so much for listening go out and make something give us money oh i'm sorry yeah yeah, yeah you should do that um <laughs> anyway so um if you're able to give to us, uh, we run on a shoestring budget. If you're um, in a position to be able to donate, we, it means the world to us. You can head to scopymag.com, go to our About section. Uh, you can become a monthly subscriber for as little as $5 a month. Um, and everything that we've been able to do so far has been because of your donations. Like Daniel and I probably cumulatively over the past four or five months, we've each maybe kicked in like 100 bucks. But that's it. Like everything else has been through your generosity. And um, if you, if more people give, we can do more. Um, so yeah, give a little, give a lot. And if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. <laughs> Go out and make something. <laughs>